Good morning. I have to admit, I'd rather keep my jacket off, but then I'd stand up with my arms crossed and look defensive the whole time. It's a little chilly in here. My hands are cold. I know that. Um, good morning. So we're in this, um, this season of Advent, um, and I know some of us have grown up in, in, say, more of a historical church that looks at the church calendar, and so we're at the very beginning of that season, this new year, if you will, for the church as we just one more week until we get to Christmas. And, and I have to ask you a question. Um, just as we set this up, we think about this season of Advent. We talk about being awake and ready. Stay woke is the phrase of this month. Do you think that it's possible that this is the last Advent season? Do you think that it's possible this is the last church? Or that is to say that Christ will return in the next week, in the next month, in the next year? It seems that we, we kind of keep that at a distance. You know, we talk a lot about growing in faith, and rightfully so, but I'm not sure that, that we're ready, that we're waiting and praying with anticipation for the Lord to return and restore all things. That's what this season is about, this season of Advent. We look forward just a week away until we celebrate the birth of Christ, the God with us, the Emmanuel coming in coming and breaking into history in a way that nobody ever anticipated. And I think we're 2,000 years away that at times it's a bit, well, it's a bit, yeah, that's been there, done that. How many Christmas seasons have we been through? And, you know, and everyone's different, but, but I just wonder if we lose a sense of this anticipation, uh, this sense of, of come quickly, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. So I, I hope that I pray that today, in this message time, in this time of worship and service together, that you you're maybe can be connected with just a piece of that. Today we're going to continue on where uh, Pastor Aaron last week, if you recall, we were in Isaiah, one of the great, the major prophets, as they say in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a little up from Isaiah today as well. But we're going to spend time looking at, at Advent from Isaiah, some reading from John's Gospel with the help of the Apostle John, the, the writer, but also from John the Baptist in the narrative. And then we're going to try to try to take a few things away for us, for you and me, in this place at this time. So first I want to start here with Isaiah. So this is from Isaiah 61. Uh, Isaiah the prophet at that time is telling the nation of Israel, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering, and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, Isaiah says, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness." This language, and, and to think about what's going on in the Old Testament, this idea that we, we deal with, uh, I forgot the last verse, I guess, I, like, I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding, or a bride with her jewels. This, this picture, though, that's being, is being put forward for us, so, so think about what's happening, right, what, the way the prophets were, right, you've got the nation of Israel, God's people, and all the history of what God's people are from, from the very beginning, and we heard about it in the video of Abraham and Abraham's descendants, and how they came to number the earth to be really God's people, that God's nation was the nation of Israel among all of the other nations in, in the area at that time. And so God literally, physically, 
meted out his history with his people. There's a long narrative of God's people rebelling and God saving them, and they rebel and God saves them, and they rebel and God saves them back and forth, back and forth. And, and the job of the prophets were to speak, to, to proclaim the hope that they have in the living God. And so here we have, we have Isaiah doing that for the nation of Israel, saying, this is what God will do, is that he will, he will recall your sufferings and he will cast it all away that there is a hope, a time coming when God comes and what we're dealing with today is cast aside and God is, is with us in a way that we don't understand, that we can't anticipate. So, so think of it this way. I know Houston's pretty flat. I'm a West Coast kid. Out West, and maybe you've been on vacation somewhere that's a little bit more hilly, but if you're driving and you're going down the highway and you can see the mountain range right in front of you, and, and depending on what the vision is, you can even maybe see the next, and maybe the third and fourth mountain behind those, right? So you have an idea of what's coming, but you have no sort of perception of how far away they are. This is like the prophets. The prophets were given a vision. They were given a message, a proclamation from God to share with God's people. So they had a vision of what it was, but they had no idea what it would like, like when it actually arrived fully, right? They could see that salvation was coming, that there was, there was a hope because of God's promise there was a hope that was coming, and this is what Isaiah is doing, is look to that day, people. Look to that day when God is coming, when God is going to remember your sufferings, and he will bring consolation to you as God's people. So you can imagine how for centuries, from the prophet Isaiah, for hundreds of years, God's people, and it's a bit different than us today, God's people, Israel, they gathered around the holy writings. They gathered, they knew the stories, they knew the prophets, the words of the prophets intimately, and they were all looking and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I suspect after, hmm, I don't know, two, three, five, seven, eight hundred years, maybe they began to get a little apathetic about the promise of God too. Well, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it's possible. And we've also lost all the videotapes, so we don't know how that was going either, right? But just think about our experience. You know, it's, it's possible that they begin to, oh, yeah, we, yeah, this is what we believe. We, we're looking forward to it, but not really, not really, right? It had been how many generations since God was with us in a way like he was before, especially for that period before we get into what we would consider and know the New Testament, so this is where, this is the connection with John's gospel, the next gospel here. So you think about how this, this, this stay woke, be awake, be ready. For the Old Testament, what, what were they looking for? It, it's tough for us to understand fully, but they had some idea of what was, what was coming. And so we get to John's gospel. We read from John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. So John tells us, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, that would be John the Baptist. This is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. So you can see, see what's going on here. 
right? The Pharisees, the leaders of the day, are, they're saying, we've been waiting for, for this, this promised messenger, this promised Messiah, but, but something's going on here that's a bit different. And John the Baptist is there in the narrative in a way that they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. They, they still don't know what the picture of what, God, what it's going to look like when God comes again, what the Messiah will be. So they're asking him, are, are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? What are you? And John's like, no, no. They say, well, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? See, now we're getting into a bit more specific questions. I think John, and I suspect others that were there that day, had an inkling of what was going on meaning that they were getting closer to the time when, when the Messiah was going to arrive. There were others that were still f- faithful to the message of Christ is returning. There's a Messiah coming, and they were, they were still on the lookout. They were looking. They were expectant. They were waiting. And those are probably the ones that were gathered with John as John is baptizing, because recall what John is doing here. He's calling the people of God, the nation of Israel, to repent Repent in a way that they would understand it that day. He doesn't understand our baptism yet, meaning the way we were baptized. He's baptizing, but it's a statement of of repentance within the context of the Old Testament, if you will, the, the law that was there that the prophets had shared. So John tells them, as they ask this question, and dig deeper and deeper and deeper, John says, John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. See, so what's happening here is that John is moving through and John knows what's going on, though maybe not fully aware of what the situation is, how, how Jesus, how the Messiah was going to arrive. Well, In the next chapter of John, or just following this section in chapter 1, you'll see that John identifies Jesus as the Messiah. That Jesus, God with us, is here. And this was the hope that John came as a forerunner to to demonstrate and give to the world. And so here you have now this, this connection between Isaiah and the prophets over hundreds of years of God's people waiting and waiting and waiting and then John the Baptist that shows up and says, there's the Messiah. He is the one. He is God's messenger, the one that will make all things right. And he is here on the scene. And I think they still missed it, though, right? I mean, that's the challenge of the day. As we consider this, this Advent season, stay awake, how are we prepared for Advent? I think we need to rest deeply in the heritage and the history of salvation that God has given us. For our place in it is a, is a bit different than what a lot of other folks have been. What I mean by that is if you think about the Old Testament, right, they had a very limited view of how it would be fulfilled. 
And these people were people that had the activity of God in their midst. I mean, fire crashing down on cities. And I mean, wars and crazy, crazy situations where the people of God, um, against all hope, thought it was over. And then in the case of the Philistines are attacking and this little shepherd boy shows up, right? Who would then slay Goliath and become King David. And then King David would have his own challenges and would turn his back on God, but yet would be restored through Nathan. And, and we're going to continue to learn about some of these, these Old Testament stories. And somehow it's easy for us to think about the Old Testament and New Testament as different, but I want us to see today how they link together. The process or the way that God's salvation played out is different Old to New Testament for sure. One same God, one same hope, one same salvation story, which is our story. So you have the Old Testament that's there looking. They're looking and hearing the prophets for God's coming. And then the folks that are in the New Testament, as we hear John the Baptist, that Jesus is on the scene, and they get to walk and be in his midst and learn from him directly. And then ultimately, we see in the New Testament, in John's Gospel, what happens, right? We saw the video earlier about this narrative that, that Jesus ultimately came to give his life and salvation for all. And it's all wrapped up nice in a, beat, in a bow, right? Nice and neat. So we finally get that piece put together. But then here we are on this side of it. What's our role? I mean, what's the role of the church today? What's the role of believers today? I think, I think it's a little bit different, right? And I know we, we talk about and we, this message I've been, I've been just all week just trying to think, okay, how do, we, how do we take this Advent message of stay woke, be awake, be ready into something that lasts the entire church year? Not just this season of a few weeks leading up to Christmas. And in talking with folks and some friends, I, I'm going to borrow a phrase, and I really think this is what nails it for me. We could talk about staying awake, being ready, being prepared. But I think in the day-to-day -day life of you and me, the message we can cling on to is don't look away. Don't look away. Now, you might say, great, what, is that? what do you mean by that, Rob? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. But I think this gets at the heart of how do we live a life as a Christian today? If we took time and we wanted to share about what's going on in our lives, I guarantee there'd be a lot of stories about how, you know, things are pretty good. I mean, we all look pretty dressed, you know, we're dressed pretty well today. Um, you know, we probably most of us showered this morning. You know, we're kind of, you know, life's pretty good. We talk about work, we talk about the neighborhood, and we tend to focus on the things that are going well. If things are going poorly, we'll talk about those too. But so often it gets to the kind of the everyday just details of life. I suggest, and some, you know, some of the grunts and groans too are helpful. Someone's really focused on the message, right? That's, no, I, I get it. We're, it's awesome that the family's in here and kids are in here for sure. But I, I think this idea of don't look away, what I'm trying to get at it is it's too easy for each of us in someone else to see, oh, that's kind of messy there. Let me go over here where it's a little cleaner to deal with. 
and we do the same thing ourselves, right? We really don't want people to know how, really how messed up things are behind closed doors. Whether in a home, maybe a husband and a wife, or individually, away from your spouse or your partner or, or your parents or whatever, your kids, whatever it is. We really don't. And this, what I'm trying to get at this with this idea of not, don't look away is to stay engaged. This is just like the prophet Isaiah talks about God sees your sufferings. I want you and me to be comfortable dealing with suffering in this world. And when I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about not having enough money. When I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about missing out on the promotion. When I talk about suffering, I'm not talking about even someone getting sick. I'm talking about dealing with the very unease and unrest that our soul exists with. I'm talking about the challenge that are core to our very being. I'm talking about the things that we don't want anybody to know about. So what does it look like to, to say don't look away? Well, I'll give you a couple, couple examples. Um, imperfect ones, I'm sure, but so Carrie and I, my wife Carrie and I, we were um, Carrie's cousin Garrett. Um, he He's not in Houston anymore, but uh, he's a few younger than we are. Okay, a few years younger than we are. Um, and he is of the generation that just after 9-11, he was in high school and he chose to enlist into the Air Force. And so uh, I'm not going to share anything here that's not public. He, he'll openly share his testimony and has done in a few churches and they're active as well. So I'm just going to give you the cliff notes of it. Because for me, it's a very compelling view of dealing with suffering in life and how the gospel has something to say about it, and how important it is when we come into situations that we're uncomfortable with, that we don't look away, that we stay there, we stay engaged, and we stay present and active. So Garrett went into the service, uh, Air Force, and he chose, especially I think a lot of that generation coming out of 9-11, wanted to be right on the front edge, and he was. Um, his first deployment was into Iraq. And uh, very difficult on the very front line of enforcement and working with um, just what they were facing. And Garrett will openly talk about over the course of his young marriage and getting injured in Iraq and coming back to the U.S., the kinds of things that he dealt with. Opiate addiction because of the pain pills, especially after the first tour, um, not knowing and realizing how to communicate with his wife in a young marriage, and and dealing with what he saw in war. The suffering where he is, as you can imagine, dealing, and maybe some of, we have some veterans in here that have dealt with it as well, dealing with children who are killed just as bystanders in these situations and having to deal with these kinds of situations. And the things that for Garrett he will be open about are so difficult to handle. He grew up in Alabama, going to church not just even once a week, but often two and three times a week, and it shook him to a core about if God is a loving God, why is this happening? Why would God allow these things to occur even in some place that is so challenging as a war area like Iraq? Garrett didn't have any good answers, and so he came home and, and dealt with a challenging marriage and not knowing how to communicate and so he struggled through those situations. Ultimately, he said he would rather be back 
with his brothers in arms on the front lines and at home because it was a challenge. And so Garrett had a second and a third deployment. And over this course, they now have some kids. And in between the second and third deployment, he starts because the um, opiates aren't dealing with it. He begins to turn to alcohol. And alcohol doesn't quite numb it as well. His marriage isn't going well. And so he then ultimately starts to have extramarital affairs as well. Comes home after his third deployment. Things aren't getting any better. He continues to see the challenges. And the best thing he could think to do is figure out any way to get back into the theater, back into the conflict. And a fourth deployment. So over the course of uh, 11 years and four deployments between Iraq and Afghanistan, you can imagine how broken Garrett was and how much in tatters his marriage, his life was, and he didn't have any good answers. Ultimately, he comes back and he settles here in Houston. The timetable about when Carrie and I moved here as well, so we got to spend some more time with the family. And Garrett had, um, by virtue of any by virtue of his wife and, and her faith, uh, an introduction to um, a person who, as Garrett would say, is nowhere near what Garrett was as far as looks and affinity from the outside appearances. Um, yeah, that's another story for another time. But ultimately, this introduction create, created someone asking a question. This acquaintance asked Garrett, what's your story? And Garrett went through the, you know, military veteran and working in the oil and gas industry and blah, 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 blah. And the person said, no, no. What's your story? What's going on in your life? And for whatever reason, Garrett started to open up. It wasn't about the physical ailments. It was about his, his struggle, his questions of God. Him wondering what he had seen and why it had to happen and, and be that way. And then also what it had done to his marriage and his family. And, and as you can imagine, it turned into a, a pretty important relationship for Garrett. Garrett started spending more time in the scriptures and talking and, and studying and ultimately came to realize that everything is God's. And whether in good in challenging times or in much and good times, it's all for the glory of God. And that there is nothing that a dead man can do to raise himself in life, so too in faith. And that God uses all of these things to break into people's lives, to force and turn them to Christ. The one place where you can have a message that it deals with the very, very core sufferings in your life. Thankfully for Garrett, his friend did not look away. He stepped in. He, he leaned into Garrett's life and asked the questions and was uncomfortable doing so. Now, now Garrett could have kept quiet and, and gone somewhere else, and I trust that this person would have stayed engaged with him. Hope that he would have. See, folks, I think this... This to me is how we talk about what does it look like to be the people of God on this side of the cross is that we have, we have the hope in its fullness. That is to say, what, 
those in the Old Testament, the prophets and the nation of Israel looking for what came fully in Christ that those in the New Testament didn't quite understand fully because of Christ was still teaching and walking his way toward the cross. We, we understand the fullness as best we can through sinful, broken lives. We understand the fullness of what God has done in Christ. And I think we have an invitation to not look away. I think we have an invitation to actually undress ourselves in front of other people. We have an invitation to, to let people see how messed up we are, what we struggle with, because in those opportunities of, of opening up the doors, the windows, whatever it is, it allows us, because there's no good answer, folks. There was never a good answer for Garrett's questions about what was happening in war. The only answer is, God is for you. And if you question that, look to the cross of Christ. He sacrificed his son for you. And he knows everything in your life, even the things that you will not share with a person, that you will not share out loud, the things that you have put back in a box so far back in the closet that you never want them to get out. God knows those things. And he comes near to you, right next to you and sits with you. He says, I know. I know what happened. I know what someone else did to you. I know what you're being challenged with. I know the questions that I'm not answering. I've given you enough. I love you. I'm for you. And not just today, but for eternity. Now, that's not to say that our physical needs are not important. I'm not suggesting that. There are organizations in this world, in this country, in this town, in this city, think about after the floods right now, that, that do a really, really great job of taking care of our physical needs. And those who are without, that don't have a home or a roof over their head without food, that they provide for them in ways that are really, really wonderful. And that's great, and we should celebrate those things. And Oikos can do that, and the church does those sorts of things as well. But let's not confuse that for gaining something before the Lord. What I mean is we do those things, we, we are active and we engage in those because they're, they benefit our neighbor. That's a great thing. And the Lord loves everyone and cares for everyone. And so we can participate in that way. But other organizations can do that just as well. The thing that is unique about the church is that we deal with suffering in a way with hope that is eternal. And I pray that we're able to lean into these things a bit more and to not look away in the difficult situations. So I, I have to confess that it isn't just about, I mean, Garrett's got a, a, a compelling testimony. And as close, I think, as someone can get to death without experiencing death, to be shooken to the very core of his being and understanding of who God is, and then be reconciled because the rest of the story is that Garrett in Houston one day knew that he had to come clean with his wife because he was having this friend that was 
caring for him and, and listening and, and leaning in and not looking away at all. And he says, I, I have to do this. And so he goes to his, his wife, Kimberly, and shares everything. And I mean everything. He hadn't opened up about not just some of the addictions, which I'm sure she saw that, but also about the affairs that he had out of, the, out of wedlock. Everything was open. And over the course of time, because healing takes time, they're married still, healthy kids, they're still developing, and Garrett would be the first one to tell you that I'm a sinner, but by the grace of God do I go forward. And Kimberly would tell you the same. It doesn't always end that way, so don't, don't try to predict the outcome, but Restoration and reconciliation is possible in the gospel. It is possible and a real outcome in the gospel. We sometimes have to stay put and not look away. Stay engaged and let the cross of Christ have its way with us. Okay, so this isn't just about Garrett. I can get a bit more personal because I have to tell you that, that Carrie and I have these discussions all the time. And I've got this, this one that... that that raised its ugly head again just a few weeks ago. I, I for some reason, I, I have a, a, ten, a tendency on an occasion when my wife, especially later in the evening if we're out, to speak a harsh word. And not just a harsh word, but when my wife comes to me and she says something out of love and concern, I can be very direct and not loving at all. <laughs> some who are laughing because they know me probably better than they should, I think. But... What the thing is, though, is that at, in the evening, in the event, it's, we don't resolve it there, which is probably a good thing. It's the next day. And what ends up happening is the next day, as my wife and I are talking about it, and she's in tears because of how I've hurt her, I want to go back and take it away. But I can't because the hurt has been done. And we talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And no, no, I, that won't happen again. And it does. I love you. It does. It's not comfortable sharing the things that we do, even in the privacy of our own marriages, our own homes with other people. It's a challenge, folks. But don't look away. There is restoration and reconciliation that can happen where we let the light of the gospel come shine in those places where the darkness exists, where the challenges are real. Carrie's involved in a huddle right now uh, with a few folks here in, at Oikos. And, and I got to tell you, one, she'll tell you, one of the struggles she's having is that she would rather not participate because she, she can struggle at times with just being open and candid about her own challenges. Now, if the group, the huddle was going to go, like, do a servant event somewhere and, and you know, do yard work, hey, she's all over that, all over it. And this is my point, is that don't let the ways of us go and get active replace dealing with suffering and the challenges of our own being in light of the gospel. Are we having fun? It's tough, isn't it? Parenting is one of these things. And you guys, I got to tell you, Jason and Ashley, you're right in front, and so you got the most visible spot, right? This is, folks, this is what it means to be family. As we have kids in our midst and we're talking about this, these 
challenges that we have as, as parents, no matter what age the kids are, as they grow and try to figure out life. So, you know, as I said earlier, it's Advent. I want to ask the question again. Do we live in this season with an expectancy that Christ is returning? Do we pray and think that it's possible that Christ would return today, tomorrow, this year? I know I don't. I'll be the first one to say it. I don't. It doesn't mean that I don't know who Christ is or, or yearn for him to return because I do. And more often than not, it's when life is difficult and challenging. I just want to be taken away from those times. Just come on, Lord, end it now, right? Those are exactly the situations when I need to lean into it. When I need to turn into and not look away with whatever is going on, whether it's with me or whether it's someone else I see. And so I, I hope, folks, that this Advent season, when you, whether it's with your spouse, maybe there's something in your home that you need to, to stay put. Don't go turn the football game on. Don't go over and say, I'm going to go to the buddy's house and play pool. To stay put and to not look away from your spouse. Maybe it's something with your kids or even your parents for that matter. That it's too easy to go away or walk away from it. I want you to stop for a moment and think. And be there and be the child of God that you are. In that situation with the spirit of God residing in you. To be present. Not look away. And to ask the questions, to be there, to be in conversation with people. It's not easy. It's not easy. And I think sometimes, especially those of us with young kids here right now who are trying to think, this isn't easy either, Rob. You're killing us because you're still talking. I get that. <laughs> I get that. Suffering is real, folks. It's real all the time, and we have an opportunity to lean into it, to be present. If you don't know what to say, just be there. Just be there with someone that's struggling. But if you're able, ask the question. Give them the option to share and be willing to share about your struggles as well. God has victory for each and every one available and is offering it this season especially as we look at Christmas and so many that are without and struggling through family situations and parents and all kinds of craziness. So you know what? I think we should probably wrap it up here because <laughs> Jason's turning into a mountain of children, which is awesome. <laughs> um, we're a week away from Christmas, folks. And that's like a really cool time, but it's also like a bonkers time. I know a lot of us will be traveling. Maybe family's coming here. Come to worship. If you can't, if you can't, maybe you just stay home and read the Christmas story. Wherever you are, I ask you, don't look away. Just be there. Don't get on your phone. Just take an extra moment to be present where you are, to be God's people in that place. I'll be praying for you. I want you to pray for me because I have my own struggles like we all do. But be present. Be there. And let the love of Christ shine through your life. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious Father, we thank you that in this place at this time we can come and gather as your people to share in worship, to share in confession, to share in forgiveness, and to share in a meal. A meal, Father, that binds us together as your people with so many Christians throughout the world today and throughout all time. We pray, Father, that as we, we walk toward the end of this Advent season, that you would help us to stay woke. Help us to be present, Father. Cause us, Father, to not look away at the times that we want to. And Father, by your grace and mercy, give us the presence to be there. Maybe just a hug for somebody, maybe a word, maybe it's an extra question of what's your story, how are you doing? Whatever it might be, Father, allow us by your spirit to stay engaged. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his love that, that you so freely give. We pray that you're with us as we depart this place, but especially as we continue worship now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.